0: Hello, Floyd here again. You know, except for a few super saints, most of us believe that we all suck at prayer. When I, when I asked the question, do we pray enough? I have never received a resounding yes! And then we're told that Martin Luther prayed three, time, three hours every morning. But we're not told why. I wonder if I asked Luther if he prayed enough. I don't think he would dare say yes. Now, the reasoning goes something like this. If I love someone lots, then I'll want to spend all my time talking to and listening to that person. Therefore, if I don't spend at least three hours a day praying, I don't love Jesus. Or at least, not as much as Luther did. And we're not even talking about the mindless repetition prayers that Jesus trashed. So, hold on, let's back up. Jesus prayed. Why? Did he need the Father? Or or did they just like talking to each other? I mean, if they're both deity, weren't they constantly inside of each other's minds? Fine, I'm lost. I'm not trying to figure out the communication capabilities within the Trinity. We seem to assume, though, that if Jesus prayed that he needed to do so... But okay, but certainly not for the reasons we pray, which is usually because we're in trouble or we want something. I mean, seriously, have you ever prayed something like, hi, Jesus, how are you doing today? Oh, oh, I'm just fine. I just wanted to see how you're doing. Never prayed something like that? I mean, we say those kinds of things to people we like and love, so, is our relationship with Jesus just one-dimensional? Dim- we only show up when we need something? Whatever. The disciples saw Jesus praying, and so they asked him how they should pray. So, he told them in Luke eleven 2, 4 Now, I'm not going to expound the whole prayer. I'll just say the main idea was wanting God's will first before dumping our problems on him. And then... After we've done the dump, we should be concerned with our basic needs, not wants. And then our relationship with other people, like forgiveness for messing up, and then personal temptations. There doesn't seem to be a lot in there that matches with most of our prayers of want, want, want. But then in Matthew 7, we're told that if we ask and seek, well, then God will allow us to find what we're looking for. Well... (laughs) This is obviously not a rewards program of earned coveted items to gratify our current greed, so we conclude that God will answer our prayers even though we're not told how or when. So we won't necessarily get what we want, but we'll get what God wants us to have, and we'll probably be very glad about it. I mean, I'm honestly glad God has not given me a yes to all of my prayers in my life. But it seems that if we could pray for the things that God wants, we'll probably get those things. Which brings me to the topic of this podcast, evangelism and prayer. Now, in Acts 2, the disciples were praying when the Holy Spirit bombed all the believers with the ability to speak in language language dialects so they could make the gospel very, very clear to everyone in Jerusalem at that time who spoke tons of different languages. Now, this wasn't a selfish gift given to make believers feel good about themselves or to draw them closer to Jesus. This was a gift to give God something he loves, souls. Well, Since that day, the last 2,000 years, believers have band together to pray for revival throughout history. Prayer societies sprang up in almost every century. One of those societies woke up the spiritually dead in Europe in the 17th century. With another one called the Lord's Watch, a guy named Zinzendorf launched prayer meetings that had believers literally praying 24 hours a day for over a hundred years, and thousands, if not millions, came to faith in Jesus around the world. The same result happened during the Great Awakening in 1730, when millions were swept into Jesus' kingdom. The concert of prayer in the 18th century lasted 150 years almost, and millions got saved. In fact, Almost all the mission societies that exploded around the globe in the 19th century were mere byproducts of these prayer concerts. Billy Graham and his team always considered their main ministry as a prayer movement. So, clearly, God answers prayers for the salvation of those seeking God. But what about you and me? What if I'm not part of some great prayer movement? Can my prayers bring my friends to Jesus? Me personally and my personal friends? The answer is that God wants to save them. And somehow God chooses to use our personal prayers to bring that about. The main thing that keeps people away from God is their own free will. Because if they're seeking him, even if they're not sure what they're seeking, they just want more out of life, God will graciously guide them toward Jesus. God will do that. But we don't know if our prayers motivate people to want Jesus or not. We don't know how our prayers actually affect evangelism. We just know that God wants people saved, and he wants us praying. He wants to use us in that activity. A few years ago, I gave my students the assignment to write a paper on what a fervent prayer looks like. Over 20 students handed in a different definition. Uh, most focused on the emotional side of prayer. I mean, you know, I'd squint my eyes and I, I, I scrunch my face up and I hold, ball my fists and I pray really loud, um, not too many people believed in the physical aspect of fervent prayer. The best we could do was to affirm that we fervently pray about those things that are the most important to us. We actually determine what's most important to us, by taking a close look at what we pray the most about. Okay, then this short contemplation will usually reveal that we don't care as much about evangelism as we think we should. Guilt trip! Guilt trip! But let's relieve some of the guilt, and let's focus on what it means to actually pray without ceasing. Now follow me on this. It can't mean 24-7, since we need time to sleep. It can't mean seven days a week, since we have to go to work and think about tons of other things. Do you realize that Jesus can read our thoughts? Do you realize that Jesus is with us 24-7? You know, if another person shadowed us for 24-7, well, apart from being creepy, we'd never think that we were alone, even if we wanted to be. And if the person shadowing us loved us immensely, however, then it wouldn't really bother us too much. And we'd never be able to have conversations with others without including our shadow. So, since Jesus is inside our minds 24-7, we can never have a thought without Jesus knowing that thought. Now, what would it be like to be always conscious of the fact that Jesus is reading all of our thoughts all of the time? Can we envision consciously recognizing that Jesus is in our minds whenever we are consciously thinking about anything and everything? You know, if we could do that, then we could consciously include Jesus in every thought. Okay, I'm going to define prayer as consciously recognizing that I'm talking to and listening to Jesus in my mind with every thought. And I'm going to define without ceasing as without ceasing, non-stop, as long as we're awake. So, pray without ceasing is not a set prayer time, three hours in the morning at a certain location. It seems to be the 24-7 recognition that Jesus is in my mind any time I'm awake, since when I'm awake, my mind is having thoughts. So, I can pray ceaselessly by simply consciously including Jesus as present in all of my thoughts. Okay, so what should we talk to Jesus about concerning our unsaved friends? Remember, evangelism and prayer, prayer and evangelism? Well, first, the Apostle Paul, a complete extrovert, actually asked people to pray for his own boldness, Ephesians 6.19. That verse stunned me. I mean, it's very encouraging for the faint-hearted. God, if Paul needed help in boldness, that's awesome. So I think one application might be in connecting prayer and evangelism is that we could find a good friend who loves Jesus and ask that person to pray for my boldness in witnessing for your boldness in witnessing. And keep it general. Don't, don't pray specifically. Just, pray for, just ask your friend to pray for boldness. Then let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 10. Paul wrote, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. Otherwise, you'd have to go to Pluto. Uh, You'd have to leave the world. You realize most religions tell their followers to stay away from bad people? (laughs) It hurts the image of that group. And Jesus told his followers to be careful around people who might want to deceive them. But Jesus doesn't want monks or isolationists as followers. He wants his followers involved in the lives of unsaved people. People who are sexually immoral, people who are greedy, people who are swindlers, people who are idolaters. That sounds like the normal world. The main reason for this connection? Jesus wants to use his followers to bring more followers to himself. Now, we can't do that by avoiding people who don't love Jesus. Even though Jesus wants his followers to avoid their sins, he doesn't want us to avoid the people. So next, take a look at 1 Corinthians 9.22. In that verse, Paul said he's willing to do anything and everything possible to lead people to Jesus. Uh, that's interesting. Paul apparently wasn't interested in allowing others to determine anything about his lifestyle that might hinder his relationships with unbelievers. So, application. First, Find a good friend you trust and ask that believing friend to pray for your boldness in witnessing. Keep it general. Now, Boldness doesn't mean rudeness or being impolite or obnoxious. You can, you can do that and not even be bold. It means to be consciously looking for opportunities to engage people about Jesus. It means actually talking to Jesus, thinking these thoughts with Jesus in the room about him opening up an opportunity. Number two, relationships. Now, let's admit something here. Paul didn't spend weeks or years living around the same people. So he didn't have the same opportunities to build long-term friendships. That wasn't his lifestyle. That wasn't his goal. He wasn't intended to do that. Paul wasn't like most believers. God wants us today, not all of us to be like Paul, very few people like Paul. In fact, he wants us today to build relationships and sometimes long-term relationships with unsaved people. So second, pray for your involvement in the lives of unbelievers. Now, in this podcast, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to make any plans about how how you're actually going to go witness or not, okay? I just want you to do those two things. Ask someone to pray for your boldness and pray for your involvement in the lives of unbelievers. I just want you to start preparing yourself for what's coming. This journey won't be the normal three points in a poem. I guarantee that. Stay with me. I'll see you in the next podcast.